when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to just pod baby a las vegas raiders podcast brought to you by silver and black and now your host evan Grote. let's go raider nation you are listening to just pod baby brought to you by silver and black today it's the final recap episode of the 2020 season and yes the victory monday raiders did pick up the win on sunday Defense nearly gave it away, but Derek Carr rallied the offense on a fourth quarter comeback, the 21st of his career to secure the win for the Raiders and improve the record to 8-8 eight eight on the season. Before we get started tonight, make sure you check out Manscaped.com, especially if you didn't get what you wanted for Christmas this year. Just get online and get it for yourself. Get your 2021 started off right with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Save yourself 20% off plus free shipping with the code PODBABY at Manscaped.com. Let's now bring in the voice of reason in Raider Nation, my co-host all season long on the recap show, our senior columnist at Silver and Black Today. He's a featured columnist at Bleacher Report, none other than Mo Mo. And now Mo, this is the last recap episode uh, of the season. And I think based on the feedback that we've gotten, our first season together was a big hit. It was a success. and, And I thank you for that. And I know that I had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, I definitely had a lot of fun doing it. I was actually surprised when you asked me to join you on the show because I, I said this on Silver and Black today with Scott and Q. By trade, I'm a writer, and that's that's how I came up in the business. I didn't come up thinking I was going to be talking into a microphone once or twice a week about the Raiders, but here I am. Um, so I thank you for bringing me into your lane and joining the show and and just having the air to listen to this every week on a, on a Monday night, Tuesday morning. So I, I really appreciate that first season in the books. I enjoyed it. Uh, of course, didn't end the way fans wanted it to. Uh, there's good and bad to every season, no matter how you look at it, which we will go through today. But again, I just want to I just want to thank you all for listening to me and Evan on the show. Yes, absolutely. Couldn't do it without the listeners. And I don't want any of the listeners out there to, to get too upset. I still plan to have Mo on throughout the offseason from time to time to get his thoughts on, on the upcoming free agency and the draft. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff going to be happening in the, in the coming months. Uh, but Mo, we are here now and we, we do have a game to recap. So let, let's get into that. But before we do that, uh, real quick, we did have some breaking news today. Not the type of news that we really like to discuss, but we do have to uh, mention it. Josh Jacobs was arrested earlier Monday morning on a suspected uh, DUI. Uh, Las Vegas police say that Jacobs crashed uh, his car at the McCarran Tunnel Airport connector at around 4.42 a.m. Uh, Jacobs was not seriously injured. N- n- nobody else was, was seriously injured, thank God. Um, he was sent to a, a local hospital to, to get checked up on and um, with some, some minor injuries, I guess. Uh, I don't know the details of that, but uh, he was, after he did receive some treatment, he was released and sent to the Clark, Clark County uh, Detention Center where he was booked for, for DUI uh, before being released sometime before uh, Monday afternoon. And, and there is a story up at silverandblacktoday.com right now about the incident. Uh, again, Mo, let's just be thankful that, that nobody was was injured badly in, in this incident, um, and, and hopefully Jacobs learns his lesson, but but not a good look for the youngster. 
Yeah, after a season like this, and then um, he he had some criticism about his play during the season, but beyond that, as you said, it's just important to know that he's he's going to be okay again. Minor injuries, single car accident. A lot of people were wondering whether he was going to be suspended for this or not. I would assume, and I read reports saying that maybe there's going to be a fine, but I don't I don't see anything significant where he's going to miss time to begin the 2021 season. Yeah, and and just. Real quick, couple of my my thoughts. You know, you, you never want to excuse this kind of. I mean, it was a mistake. Don't get me wrong. And we and everyone makes mistake mistakes. He's he's a 22 year old kid, uh, but th- this one could have been so much worse. You know, so it's it's important that he understands the uh, the extent to the mistake that he made and and how how worse it could have been. But let's all keep in mind, think back to when you were 22 or when, when all the listeners out there were 22. And I, I know that when I was 22 years old, I did some really, really stupid things. Um, let's Again, let's just hope that uh, Jacobs learns from this mistake. Um, by everything we we know about this kid, he's he's a, he's got great character, great morals. So I don't suspect this will be uh, a lingering uh, issue for Jacobs. I look at it this way. Take one of your worst moments in your early 20s and, and think about if that was put on social media and on all, all the news wires. Would you want people to judge you based on one of your worst moments? Because we all have them. Right. And and it just so happens that he's a football player and, and this happened to him. And again, you don't want to excuse anything like this. But again, we all make mistakes and he made his and let's just hope that he learns from this. Absolutely. All right. So let's move on now. Uh, let's, let's get into the game. Um, it, it wasn't pretty, but the Raiders did pull off the win despite four turnovers by the offense, including two car interceptions. Uh, another poor performance by the defense where they allowed 30 plus points, nearly 450 yards of total offense uh, for the Broncos. And and I got to throw in the 14 penalties for 111 yards. I, I'm still a little surprised they were able to win this game. It's not, you, you don't see that often where where a team has those types of obstacles to, to maneuver around, but they got it done and they, they ended up finished the season uh, eight and eight. Yeah. Um, I would say if if you would have told me that the Rays would commit four turnovers, I would say yeah they probably lose that game because you you hear the cliches all the time with play when teams turn the ball over that much you hear coaches say this all the time if you turn over turn the ball over that much and commit that many penalties you're not going to beat anybody well the Raiders were able to beat the Denver Broncos with all of those obstacles in the way uh, of course it was a it was a sloppy game. A lot of things to look look at as a positive, but if you're looking at the totality, it's an eight and eight season. And a lot of people say, "Well, they improved by one in the win column." Uh, wasn't what you wanted it to be because again, you go through another second half uh, of the season collapse. But if you're looking at the positives, they're they're taking baby steps in the right direction. And also, I didn't know this until I listened to Q earlier because Beth Moens actually said this during the broadcast. This is the first time since 2010 that the Raiders won in Week 17. First time in 10 years they finished the season with a W. So it, you have to go back to 2010 when I believe they beat the Chiefs in Week 17 for a Week 17 win for the Raiders. So I guess that's the silver lining in, in this a bit. But I guess I fans are not going to look at this very positively and say, well, you know, it's still an 8-8 eight eight season. You want a winning record, and I get it. Uh, Derek Carr was interviewed after the game. He basically said, you know, next season, looking forward, they have to look at being able to finish better. And I think we all understand that. 
it's just a matter of figuring out why. Why are you collapsing in the second half of the season? I think that's something that you're going to have to harp on in the offseason coming up. Yeah, and uh, I, I agree. That, and that, that, that is an interesting uh, stat there. I didn't realize that. First time in 10 years. Wow, that's a long time. Um, but for, for me, uh, and we've talked about this, 8-8 eight and eight for me, that's a disappoint, uh, disappointment. Uh, and we talked about it, especially the way it all kind of went down and, and fell apart. Uh, towards the end of the season, but there, you mentioned some silver linings. There are s- some statistics out there that you can you can look to for some um, some inspiration, I guess, or, or for some positivity. Uh, I did hear Gruden talking about some of that in his press conference yesterday. With the Raiders uh, had a road record, I believe, of six and two this year, so they really. Uh, and this was that's an area where, where the Raiders weren't always so good uh, in previous seasons. So they, they've they've gotten better there. Uh, they did beat Kansas City on the road this year. They beat some good teams. They beat New Orleans. Um, so they they did do some good things. But um, again, eight and eight. And I heard Scott talking about this a few weeks ago. Eight and eight is kind of like the worst spot to be because it's like uh, I think the word he, purgatory, right? You're kind of like you're not quite with the you're not you're not a playoff team, but you're not bad enough where you're getting one of the top draft picks. You're kind of just, you're kind of in nowhere, no man's land. So eight and eight, uh, it is a one game improvement, but you know, it's still a disappointment for me. Let, let, let's get back to the game. Let's fast forward um, towards the end of the game. Josh Jacobs had just scored from 28 yards out to even up the score at 24-24 with uh, 7.27 left to play. The Broncos get the ball back starting at their own eight yard line. And uh, on third and 10, Drew Locke hooks up with Jerry Judy for 92 yards uh, for the touchdown. It looked like another blown coverage uh, by the safeties, uh, another miscommunication, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we, We have seen it happen too many times throughout the year. Many times it happened in big moments and it nearly cost them the game again in this one. Yeah, I felt I felt terrible for multiple reasons on this play. First of all, the play. There are four Raiders defenders bunched up in the middle of the field. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they're having a tea party. They're sharing cookies. I don't know what's going on in the middle of that field. But you can see if you watch the replay, four Raiders just bunched up and there's not a Denver Bronco in sight. And then you see Jerry Judy just dart pass and catch that pass and take a 92 yards to the house. And I just, I felt for the situation because I knew immediately when I looked on my Twitter, people would compare Jerry, du- Jerry Judy to Henry Ruggs, who had, who was also knocked out in that game, I believe after a play. Oh, yeah. He took a so shot. He took a he big took shot. A, he, yeah. He took a huge shot. Had to leave. My guy and finally gets a little bit involved in the game. You know, he's getting a couple catches. <laughs> he catches, he gets that, uh, that, that jet sweep or whatever it was that reverse and he gets popped and he fumbles. And I'm like, Oh great. I'm going to get, I thought I was going to get harassed on Twitter. Luckily I didn't. Not one person tweeted at me about that after I'd been ranting and raving about how I want him to be more involved, but go ahead. But I think that's the criticism about him is that, is is his body built enough for him to handle the wear and tear of the professional game? Yeah. Now we we've seen other receivers uh, play well but get hurt. The old Dale Beckham Juniors of the world has been hurt, and he's a, he's not a big receiver; he's a smaller guy. So people are wondering now: 
does Henry Ruggs have enough to withstand the hits of the game? And, you know, Gruden talked about guys having to hit the weight room. I think Henry Ruggs is one of those people along with working on the nuance of his route running. But back to the play, Jerry Judy, he's had some drop issues in recent weeks. So was, I guess for him, it was, a, it was a load off his shoulders to get that big play and go, go for the touchdown. But again, I would just I would just be careful about comparisons between Judy and Ruggs because this season with Corlin Sutton out for the Broncos, Judy was thrust into the lead wide receiver position. So they they intentionally fed him targets. And he wasn't that efficient because, as I, as I just said, he struggled with drops this season. He's got to fix that um, going into his second year. But big play for him on that one to, to give Broncos some life and some energy on that play. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you talked about uh, four players being bunched up in the middle of the field. And that, you know, to me... That that's an issue uh, that we, we that we have seen often this year. Safety play, it, it, the safety play, was a problem in in my eyes all year long. I I'd say maybe it's one of the weakest units on the defense levels of the defense. I should say. Um, I, talked, I agree. Yeah, I, I talked about whether it was a blown coverage, miscommunication. It looked like guys were just kind of standing around, like you said. Nobody seems to know what they're doing. They've also had problems. This is at the safety position with tackling. Uh, we, we saw uh, Jonathan Abram and Eric Harris all season long taking poor angles. And, uh, you know, I know they dealt with some injuries and, and players going on COVID. Um, it, it was just a nightmare of a season for the safety group. I, we saw Dallin, uh, Dallin Levitt getting a lot more snaps toward the end of the season. Not a knock on him, but that that's not a good sign when he's being thrust into action. Um, you know we're going to have plenty of time you know, in the off season to 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 dive into the position groups and, and get real specific and and break down their season. So I don't want to go too much further into the the issues at safety. Um, but but what changes need to be made and, and who should they be targeting in free agency and all that stuff? You know that's going to be a conversation for another day for us. But I, I, what I do want to talk about um, more is the defense. Okay, Drew Locke finished the game with with 339 yards passing and two touchdowns with a passer rating of 103.6. I don't know if you knew this, the 339 yards that was the highest total for him this season. <laughs> And in the quarterback rating was the second highest for him, and he struggled, you know. So, mm-hmm. the the last time I checked, Drew Locke wasn't wasn't the next John Elway. So, what I'm trying to say is, they were making the defense was making him look a lot better than he is. But that has often been the case this year with with the opponent. I mean, look what look at what the Falcons were able to do: 43 points. I mean, they have a, a a decent offense, but they didn't even have Julio Jones that day. This defense just makes offenses look much better than they are. Uh, they did manage to get the two sacks on Sunday, zero takeaways, and one of the people who I thought in particular had an awful day was Nevin Lawson. He really, really struggled. He was called for multiple penalties, and he gave up a lot of catches and a lot for for some you know serious yards. I don't know what it is with Nevin Lawson in the in week seventeen. Remember last year? I think he was suspended for for a helmet hit. I think he took his helmet and hit somebody with it. And that's why he was suspended for the first game of this season. He doesn't end season seasons very well, but going, just looking at the, he doesn't start him very well either. And and that's exactly (laughs) what I'm getting to is if you look at his resume and I know a lot of people, I don't want to say we're hyped for Nevin Lawson, but a lot of people out there in Twitter land was saying, well, Nevin Lawson isn't great, but he's solid. And I'll never forget 
the analysis that one Detroit Lions writer gave to me when the Raiders signed him because he played for the Lions for a, for a long stretch. And he said exactly what I saw all season from Nevin Lawson. He said Nevin Lawson is usually in the right spot to make a play, but he doesn't make the play. And that goes to why he's played 88 games. He's played 88 career games and doesn't have one interception. Yep. 88 games, no picks, 34 pass breakups. And he had four this year. They need to cut ties with Nevin Lawson, let him go wherever he's going to go. But he, to me, he's not a starter. He, this is a guy you bring in when you have an injury, a guy who has starting experience. You just bring in for a pinch for a little bit of a stretch. But he is not a guy you want out there for 90, even 80, not even 75 percent of the defensive snaps. They need an upgrade. Yeah, now, now this might be a little off topic. I, this wasn't something that I, I uh, put on our, our rundown for the show tonight, but you got me thinking. Now, I saw that both Amik Robertson and Isaiah Johnson were were inactive yesterday. I'm not sure why. Was Isaiah Johnson hurt? Do you know that, Mo? I'm not quite sure. I don't recall. I know he recently had a groin injury, but okay. if you remember, he did play against the Dolphins, right? Because right. he was on that he was on that blowing club coverage with uh, Damian Arnett. So, right, that's I, right. I don't know what the story is with Isaiah Johnson, but at that point in the season, I don't know why he's not dressing up if he's not hurt. Well, that's my point. My point is this: in in my preview episode of of last week, I talked about one of the things that I wanted to see was some of the young guys. Getting a chance to play, and I didn't talk about Amik Robertson and and, and uh, Isaiah Johnson specifically, but that would have been a real good spot to to get some of these guys just some more game action. You you know what you have in Nevin Lawson. He's he has a resume in the league. You you know what you got with him. Why not throw Amik Robertson in there? I don't, again, I don't know if he was hurt. I don't think he was. I think he was just just inactive, but. That would have been a spot right there where I, if I'm Gruden, I say, you know, let's give these youngsters a shot. Let's give them a a, a, a healthy dose of, of of snaps and let's see what they can do with it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I I understand Gruden wants to win the game, so they're you know, as Herm Edwards would say, they're playing to win the game. I get it, but as you said, we already know what Neville Lawson is at this point. It's not that good as we saw this season. So I, I would have preferred to see Isaiah Johnson in, especially because he had some high moments, as you remember from the Chargers game, when he broke up those two passes at the end to get the win for the Raiders. So again, if he wasn't hurt, I don't see why he wasn't dressed to play because you can develop that going forward to see what you have in a guy that you once called the steal of the 2000 what was a 19 draft. So right, right. I, I just don't see why you have him on the sideline when he has that type of potential. If you think he has that type of potential. Right. Now, one of the other things we saw on Sunday, speaking of another corner, uh, Damon Arnett. Now, I don't think it was injury related. I'm pretty sure he was benched. Uh, He played only 17 snaps in the game. Uh, I I feel like this this move that we saw on Sunday was kind of a long time in the making. We've seen Arnett struggle to stay healthy all year. and, And when he was available, he didn't play great football. Gruden talked about him specifically along with Abram. He wanted to see uh, on Friday, his press conference, he said he wanted to see guys like Damon Arnett and Jonathan Abram go out there and play a full game, play, play a, a full game, you know, without getting injured. And, you know, we saw Abram get banged up a couple of times. So I, I think there might be some frustration there uh, with Arnett. Maybe, maybe I'm way off 
on that. But looking at the total body of work from Arnett, he, he's got a lot to prove next season. Keep in mind, a lot of people, myself included, thought he could have been had maybe later in the draft and, and maybe a trade-down scenario. Gruden and, and Mayak obviously felt differently about him. Uh, but it, it's tough to justify uh, that, that first-round pick uh, after the rookie season that he had. Yeah, Gruden mentioned... Arnett as one of the guys that needs to hit the weight room in the offseason. I also think he needs to sharpen his technique on tackling on initial contact. As you saw, I believe in back-to-back games, he went out with a concussion. Um, And people jumped on me early in the season when I pointed out that he didn't play well because they said, well, he only gave up a big play to Robbie Anderson in the season opener. Now we have a full season. Now I know he had a fracture. He went to the season with a fractured thumb. He had COVID. He had multiple concussions. I get it. A full offseason, a full health will do him well but just looking at his numbers right now looking at his coverage numbers he's been targeted 30 times he's allowed 24 completions and 107.4 passer rating now he didn't allow any touchdowns but he has some gas as we remember as i pointed out in the dolphins game did seem like he was lost on that cover two zone um and and he's had you know again he's had some miscues some coverage issues can't stay healthy it's just a lot and i get it he's a rookie i'm not giving up on him i don't want people to listen to me and think oh he's down on damon arnett damon arnett isn't going to be anything i'm not saying that but the warning flags are there and a lot of people pointed out these flags coming into the draft but of course as fans you defend that player until you actually see it on the field so when people have their criticisms and they say well damon arnett was overdrafted you go no no you just don't know what you're talking about and Mayock and Gruden understand these players and they study these players so they know better than we do and they do. But you can't ignore these flags. And the, and the one major flag is doesn't have great foot speed. I think he was a four, five, six in his 40. 40 is not everything, but to me, this is a guy who could be burned on the outside against faster receivers. And I'm wondering, because he has slot experience at Ohio State, I'm wondering if they move him inside. Let's say if the Raiders do, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but let's say the Raiders do sign or draft a cornerback for the perimeter does damon arnett move inside and they let joiner go that's that's going to be a conversation to have later down the line but he doesn't have the foot speed to me to to consistently play on the outside especially against certain teams that use speed receivers on the perimeter so i worry about that um as far as his physicality again he needs to work on his technique if he's going to be a physical cornerback if he's gonna he's going to use his muscle on those on the top of roots he's going to have to be able to sharpen his his tackling technique because if not he's going to be called for penalties or he's going to miss time because he's hurting himself and i think that's that's something to look at with arnett the other problem was that he's one of the oldest rookies to come in I believe he's 24 now, going to be 25 next season. So a lot of people say, what's the big deal about age? And it's the question is, has he maxed out? It, you know, is his upside limited because he's an older, he came in as an older rookie? And that's going to be something we're going to have to look out for in his sophomore season. How much does he grow from year one to year two? Because if it's minimal growth, people are going to say, see, this is the limited upside that we talked about with Arnett coming in at 24 years old. Yeah, you're you're right on the money with 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 your assessment there. And you know, one of the things I do wonder um because the defense was just so bad at, at every level and um it, it seemed like you know, and I I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but it seemed like every player struggled on that defense. I mean, I, I hate to say that because you know, you, you look at the defensive line. Crosby struggled at times. Collins was a no-show. Hurst had struggles. Nassib struggled. Farrell was good against the run, 
pass rush, non, non-factor. You look at the linebackers, Littleton struggled. Okay, Nick Morrow, he's one player that I could say did not struggle. He played his, probably his, the best football of his career. Kwiatkowski played well as well. Uh, you go back to the secondary, Mullen had his struggles. Arnett, bad season. Abrams, I would say he had a bad season. And, you know, so I wonder, was the, was the coaching on the defensive side of the ball so bad that it affected every player on that side of the ball? Is Am I looking too much into that, or do you think I'm onto something? No, I think you're onto that, and it goes to what I said to someone who um, I was interacting with on Twitter, and they were saying, well, I don't feel comfortable with the Raiders signing free agents because look at what happened with the free agents they signed this year with Littleton and Nassib they, and Collins. They didn't really do much, and I said, well, Sometimes it's not the player. Sometimes it's the system they're in because time and time again, we see Raiders uh, players pass through Oakland, now Vegas, and they don't play well with the Raiders. But then when they go elsewhere, you see them pop. Like guys like Danica Archer and Shelby Harris. Jahad Ward is making plays with the Ravens, believe it or not. I know he's not a, a pro bowl or anything, but he's a, a lot better with the Ravens than he was with the Raiders. So yeah. I, I'll say this, that with the system that was in place under Gunther, I don't, you know, don't want to throw Gunther under the bus more than he has been already, but sometimes it's the system and the players – you'll see better you see more production out of them with under a different coordinator just really quick Littleton had some candid uh quotes today and he basically said he felt like a chicken with his head cut off playing in the first half of the season because in my opinion I think he played a lot better toward the end down the stretch you can see I, I feel like he was more comfortable in the system and he was missing less fewer tackles and he was making a few plays I mean he again he wasn't what he looked like with the Rams but you could see the improvement down the stretch in the final quarter of the season. I think with a with a good defensive coordinator who's a teacher and a developer, I think you'll see more out of the players that they signed last year and some of the players that they're going to sign this year. Yeah, yeah. So, so to say that the defense, uh, you know, needs some work is an understatement. And obviously, we both agree it all starts with with hiring a competent defensive coordinator. Uh, in fact, if you want to share, you, you texted me just before we we began recording today with some some names uh, of coordinators that were being linked to the Raiders. You want you want to share some of those names? Sure. So Jason Lacanfora of CBS Sports um, basically said the Raiders are linked to. Joe Barry, I'm just going to give the four names. Joe Barry, Gus Bradley, Raheem Morris, and none other than Greg Williams. Now, <laughs> Raiders fans know who Greg Williams is. He's the guy who called the cover zero and allowed Henry uh, Derek Carr to connect with Henry Ruggs for that game-winning touchdown pass. I believe it was a week 13 against the Jets. So I would just leave Greg Williams wherever he is. Because it turns out the Jets weren't tanking because they won two games this year after that. So he he just made a bad play call. I would just stay away from Greg Williams, but he's been around for so long. And I believe Gruden probably has a lot of respect for a guy like that who's been who's been around the block many times. I, I would stay away from him. I understand the Raheem. The other three guys, I will say, are connected to Gruden because they all worked under Gruden when he was the head coach of the Tampa Buccaneers, Raheem Morris was a defensive backs coach. Joe Barry was the linebackers coach and Gus Bradley took over for uh, Joe Barry as a linebackers coach. When he left to go be a defensive coordinator for Detroit lions under Rod Marinelli, who is his father-in-law. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Didn't know so that. yes. So yes. So Joe Barry, who's now, I believe the linebackers coach for the Los Angeles Rams is the son-in-law of Rod Marinelli. 
And they worked together in Detroit in 2007 and I believe 2008. Joe Barry is a defensive coordinator and Rob Marinelli was the head coach. He's one of the guys on the list for the defensive coordinator position. So if Joe Barry is the guy selected, you could see the dots. He worked under Gruden, and that's Rod Marinelli's son-in-law. So he, I would say he's one of the front runners. As far as the candidates that I like of this bunch, I would say I would most like Raheem Morris simply because of what he did with the Falcons after they fired Dan Quinn. I believe that Falcons defense played pretty well. They gave Tom Brady some issues in their first meeting. So I like what he did in Atlanta. If he's not a head coach, I, I would like him to be defense coordinator for the Raiders. I know a lot of people are saying, Wade Phillips, Wade Phillips, Wade Phillips. But I just want to throw a tidbit out there. I listened to John Gruden's press conference today, and he said he wants to work with a four-man front. He prefers a four-man front. And as we know, Wade Phillips is known for running a 3-4 base. So I I, I don't, I haven't heard any links outside of um, Vincent Bonson. You are saying that Wade Phillips would be interested in the Raiders' job. But as far as the four names right now that they're coming from, Jason Lockerford and even uh, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, it's Joe Barry, it's Gus Bradley, it's Raheem Morris, and Greg Williams. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a Wade Phillips guy, so and uh, I you know I the the more I thought about, it, I I don't although he's the top guy on my list, I just. I never saw it as a real fit with Gruden due to the schematic change to a 3-4. And I, I just don't think, I think Gruden's ego is a little bit too big to bring in a, a big name, a, a guy like Wade Phillips. I, I just, I didn't think it would actually happen. I agree with you. I think it, I, I think Raheem Morris would be the next best fit for me. Um, so who knows? We'll see. Hope, hopefully that move uh, happens sooner rather than later. Uh, but I, I, I do want to jump over uh, to the offense a little bit here before we take a break and, and discuss uh, what they were able to do on Sunday. Let, let's first start with some of the personal accomplishments. Derek Carr went for over 4,000 yards for the third straight season. Josh Jacobs topped 1,000 seasons, uh, 1,000 yards, excuse me, for the second time. Darren Waller, he broke Tim Brown's single season reception record. And the other one was Darryl, uh, Daniel Carlson is the new Raiders single season scoring leader passing uh, former first round selection, Sebastian Janikowski. Uh, so in a, in a day where the, the team got a win, there was also some some personal uh, accomplishments to, to be proud of as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I like the fact that the Raiders obviously knew about Tim Brown's record and Darren Waller. And a lot of people felt that they were going to force the balls. Well, I, I like the fact that Weller had a meaningful – that last drive, that game-winning drive that the Raiders had, Weller had some big catches, I believe, for 21 and 10 yards. And, of course, that two-point conversion, he caught that. So it wasn't like they were just force-feeding it for the record and they didn't care about the win. Like, he had some meaningful catches in that game. So I, I, I like that aspect of it. And congrats to him. And Tim Brown actually tweeted something out to say, you know, congrats on, on breaking the record. Derek Carr, a lot of people are, and this is a whole different subject in itself, but a lot of people are saying Derek Carr, was his 2020 season better than his 2016 season? There's some debate about that on Twitter. And I will say, in an aspect, yes. Now, he didn't have all the game-winning drives he had in 2016. Obviously, the Raiders' record wasn't as good at they were 12-4 in 2016, 8-8 now. But if you look at his command of the offense, he's better on his feet. Um his QBR, passer rating, and passing yards, all career highs. I think all those things are of note. 
I will say this, though. In the second half of the year, I think that's where the discussion comes in because he didn't play. If you look at his numbers, he didn't play as well in the second half of the season. He kind of tapered off. In three of his last five games, he had the, he had the same number of touchdowns, interceptions, and three of his last five. And in the other two games, he was at or below a 61% completion rate. So just, just putting that out there. But if you're looking at his surface numbers, 27 touchdowns, nine interceptions is a pretty solid number. The offense, I believe, reflects what Derek Carr has been this season, which is really good. I mean, solid, really good, but not great. And I think with that defense, that offense needs to be great. Now, the numbers would tell you they're top 10 in points scored in yards and, and yards accumulated. But as we've talked about in previous weeks, once they get down the red zone, and we saw issues in the red zone uh, yesterday, even though they finished off pretty well, there were still some issues there. And even on that even on that two-point conversion score, there was confusion Waller and Hunter Renfro, are they on the field or they're off the field? It's a good thing that Vic Fangio calls that timeout because if he doesn't, the Raiders probably have a, a have a late fourth quarter gaffe, and we're talking about it right now as one of the many red zone issues that they've had this season. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I have some thoughts on, on the Waller uh, record break. Let me I'll get to that in a second. I'll just continue on with Carr since we're on the topic. Um yeah, and I and I agree with you. I agree with everything you had to say. I I, I there's still a large group of the fan base that does not want Carr back. I, I mean, I'm watching the game yesterday and I was uh, refreshing my, my timeline on Twitter. It was amazing. It was You would have one fan who's literally blaming the game on Carr and then you have another fan who is, who's praising him. It, it, it really is amazing how divided the fan base is um, on, on Carr. And I, and I get it. You know, he, he's He's not one of the top quarterbacks in the league. I don't agree with that. Some people say he's elite. I, I do not agree with that. No, I, I yeah, I think he's he's a solid quarterback. He he's he's middle of the road, if you ask me. You like you like to see him clean up some areas of the game. The turnovers, nine interceptions and, and eight fumbles. Now nine interceptions isn't bad, but when you combine that with eight fumbles lost, that's mm-hmm. seventeen turnovers. He needs to take care of the ball better. That's something I'd like to see him work on um, for next season. You talked about the struggles in the red zone. I think a little bit of that has to fall on his shoulder. I think I think the play caller is, is number one. He's responsible for that, but I do think the quarterback, uh, you know, should take some of that blame as well. But there's no denying the, the steady growth that he's made under Gruden in the last three years. He's hit he hit career highs uh, this year in yardage, which you know sometimes I don't like to look into that stat too much because if you're if you're down in games or if you're playing from behind you know and you're just you're you're throwing the ball all the time you're going to get a lot of garbage production and there were a couple games like the Tampa Bay game and the um I don't know I can't think of one off the top of my head right now but there there were some garbage time production there a couple late touchdowns passes but he did he did reach the career high there 4103 yards he had his career high in QB rating um, I, I do think he got better at extending some plays and, and using his legs. I still want to see more of that from him in that area. That that all the great quarterbacks in this league are guys that can can do that sort of thing. I, um, but I think if if you're looking at it objectively, which you and I do, I think that's that's one thing I can say I'm proud of about this show is that we're fair. We give our objective opinion. Uh, he was the the quarterback of the number ten scoring offense in the league. Yeah. I think he did what he was supposed to do this year. Yeah. I- Look, I think where the disappointment comes in is people with their expectations. He's never going to be Aaron Rodgers. He's never going to be Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson. Carr, to me, and I'm just going to say this straight out, 
He's a B quarterback. He's a B, B plus quarterback. Now, can he have his nights where he, his games where he's an A? Yes, of course. He, but he can also have times where he could be a C or a D. And that's basically what it is. He, he, he's, I would say, again, I would say he's a B, B plus quarterback. You can win games with him. You can go to the playoffs with him. You can even go to a Super Bowl with him. Cause I've seen it with Jimmy Garoppolo going to the Super Bowl. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is better than Derek Carr. Cause I'm one Jimmy Garoppolo cannot stay healthy. But I've seen Kirk Cousins go to the playoffs. I, I'm old enough to remember Rex Grossman going to the Super Bowl, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you can win a lot of games with Carr with what he's doing now. Is he a guy that's going to throw 40 touchdowns and 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 have you know five turnovers in a season? No, but uh, he's good enough if he has the parts around him, an offensive line, a strong offensive line, some receivers, and a decent defense – you can go far with him. Now, if those one of those things goes wrong, then you may get an 8-8, eight 9-7 eight, season. That's just who he is at this point. Now, he can prove me wrong and show me something else in, in the fourth year under Gruden because, as we just agreed, he's improved every year under Gruden. There's no denying that. Look at the numbers. Look at the games. He has improved every year, so I'll give him that. But again, if you think he's going to wake up one morning and be a top-five quarterback in the league, you will be disappointed. But I just want to really um, – I didn't mention Josh Jacobs um, of the guys of the offensive players. And someone tweeted me yesterday, and they, and they asked my honest opinion. And they, they wanted to know if Josh Jacobs regressed a little bit from his first year, his second year. And I, and I would say he – I don't want to say he regressed, but I think we understand now that many people last year thought he could be really good even if the offensive line struggles. We found out this year that – he goes as the offensive line goes, which is the case for many running backs in this league. If the offensive line isn't getting a push up front in the trenches, he's going to struggle because his yards per carry average is down to 3.9 this year. It was 4.8 in his uh, rookie year. Um, but he did have 12 touchdowns this year um, versus seven last year. He did improve his pass catching, as he said at the beginning in the offseason. He said he worked on his route running. And he had 33 catches this year versus 20 last year. So he's improved as a pass catcher. And he got in the end zone a lot. And his his yards from scrimmage, pretty much steady. 13-16 last year, 13-03 this year. So I wouldn't say he regressed. I would say his help regressed. And that led to his, I guess, step back in yards per carry. But, again, most of these running backs are dependent on their offensive line. And Jacobs is no different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think the injuries, uh, not to not to sound like Gruden with the excuses, but I think the injuries did take a toll on him. I, I think injuries really take a toll on a running back. I, I just think it's it's tough to play that position when you're hurt because you're, you're, you're just getting hit so often. So I think it shows up a little bit more on a running back than it does a receiver, you know, especially with his style of play. Jacob right. He's a physical good. runner. Exactly. Exactly. And the offensive line, you know, the. The, the the carousel that we had we saw at right tackle and not having incognito I, I I do think that played a big factor but real quick before we get to a break I, I wanted to give you my my quick thoughts on on Waller and this isn't this isn't a hot take or anything but but the guy's a complete stud I, I gotta say the guy is a stud um, what an accomplishment you know it's to to lead the franchise uh, in reception single season and to and to pass a Hall of Famer like Tim Brown just 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 a great accomplishment and I and I've said this before we've talked about this before. Say what you want about Gruden and some of the personnel choices that he's made over the years. He deserves a lot of credit for for plucking Waller off the Ravens practice squad. Uh, what a find, you know, Waller has been. Um, he he th- take a look at this real quick. This is how he finished the last five games. Talk about ending your season on a high note. Now, 
the 107 catches that he had on the season ranked him fourth in the league among among all receivers. Okay, um, he was tenth in yardage, 1,196, and he and he finished the year with nine touchdowns, which was a a six touchdown improvement from last year because he only had three. But the, I talked about the the strong finish. The last five games. He had 13 catches for 200 yards and two touchdowns versus the Jets. Then the following week, he had seven catches for 75. Okay, that's not great. Nine catches, 150 and a touch. Five catches for 112 last week. And then in the final game, he had nine catches for for 117 yards and one touchdown. I expect him to be receiving some serious all-pro considerations uh, after Travis Kelsey. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people are now asking the question. Now, a lot of people... Want to know who's better, Travis Kelsey or Darren Waller? And I believe, as far as a as far as pass catching is concerned, just looking at pass catching, I believe they're on the same level. And I, you could throw George Kittle in there too, but I believe, as far as pass catching is concerned, I believe the Raiders have an equal to Travis Kelsey. Now, if you're looking at the totality of the position, you may say it's Travis Kelsey uh, because he's been doing it longer. Again, Waller's um, he converted from wide receiver to tight end. But just for a guy just switching positions and going through what he's gone through and and in two years just racking up the numbers that he has, breaking Tim Brown's record, uh, that that's very impressive. And the Raiders, as you said, Gruden in particular, deserves a lot of credit for plucking him off the Ravens practice squad. I wonder what the Ravens are thinking right now, seeing Waller flourish, because can you imagine if they had Waller and Mark Andrews for Lamar Jackson? That would be insane. But I'm I'm glad they overlooked him because now he's a Raider and he's helping um, that offense reach its peak. And he talked about the red zone issues during the offseason as well. And, and he was the guy that stepped up because, as you just said, nine touchdowns after he only scored three touchdowns last year, had a problem getting into the end zone, wasn't the issue this year. And he's one of the few Raiders that showed up in the final quarter of the season when the other, when most of the team had kind of faded, he was that guy giving them en- that energy. He was that guy still giving them a chance to get wins. So congrats to him for breaking the record, and he's definitely a gem. Definitely. And all right, Mo, uh, great, great conversation. Great start there in segment one. Let's, let's get a quick break out of the way. When we return, we're going to take a look at some of the top priorities this offseason for the Raiders and just give some of our final thoughts on the 2020 season. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Just Pod Baby, Evan Grote and Mo Moten wrapping up the Raiders 2020 season finale. And now in segment two, what we're going to do is is dive into some of the offseason topics. There's a lot of, of big question marks with this team going into the offseason. The one that I want to ask you about, though... Uh, is Nelson Aguilar on the offensive side of the ball. He came to Vegas this year and revitalized his career, set new highs in, in yards and average yards per reception. It was a, it was a, a really good signing by Mayock and Gruden. You could see that he, he also, he really earned the trust of Derek Carr. And I think that's, that's really important with Carr because he has to have your trust. But the question now is, does he try to test the market and see if there's a big payday out there for him? And, and how much is too much to, to offer Aguilar if the Raiders do want to try to bring him back. Well, first of all, if I'm Aguilar's agent, I'm telling him he needs to test the market and see what's out there. And if he doesn't like what he sees out there, then he's he's obviously probably welcome back with the Raiders. He has a report, Derek Carr. He's basically, he basically became Derek Carr's wide receiver one. And he has a, a history of Gruden. Gruden talked about how he was familiar with Nelson Aguilar when 
Gruden was coaching in Tampa Bay. So I think they will welcome that Aguilar back with open arms. A lot of people were asking me, what is he worth? And I said between nine and 10 million. And the reason I say that, and a lot of people say, well, that's too much because they're comparing it to everyday living. Now to you and me, nine, nine and 10 million is a lot of money. But for a wide receiver hitting the market after after getting career high in, in receiving yards, it's pretty much middle-of-the-road average. I just want to throw a couple numbers out um, out there to you. Uh, Randall Cobb, 55 catches, 828 yards, and three touchdowns in 2019. He signed a deal that was worth $9 million per year with the Texans. Robbie Anderson, 52 catches, 779 yards, five touchdowns. He signed a $10 million, well, two-year, $20 million deal with the Carolina Panthers. So I think Nelson Aguilar fits somewhere in there. He didn't have as many catches as those guys, but he had more receiving yards and more touchdowns. He had eight touchdowns. So a lot of people saying, oh, 10 million is too much. Well, guess what? The market says that that's what he's going to get. If, you, if you're following the market and, and you're following the numbers of other players who have similar production, you're looking at the numbers and comparing that's about where he falls in the nine to ten million dollar ish range. He, you can go up to maybe eleven million, depending on if a team is aggressive in signing him. Just keep in mind, Terrell Williams before the Raiders signed him, Terrell Williams had forty one catches with six hundred fifty three yards and five touchdowns, and he his contract averaged eleven million per year. So, again, I'm saying if you're saying ten million is too much for Nelson Aguilar, look at the numbers because that's where he falls. And if the Raiders re-sign him, I think that's where his deal is going to land. Even if he goes elsewhere, another team picks him up. I could see him making a little more than ten million if he's a huge need there. But I, I just, I just don't feel like ten million is is too much. I, I believe that's that's pretty much where he should be. And again, you can you can release Terrell Williams and save eleven point six million and use that money to re-sign Nelson Aguilar. So it's not like the Raiders. I'm going to have to stretch deep in their pocketbook to resign them. Yeah. You know what, Mo, it's funny that you, you brought up some of those names. I also, uh, in, in preparation for the show tonight, I also took a look at some of the wide receiver salaries just to kind of get a ballpark in my head. Cause I really didn't know what, you know, what, what, what can he command on the open market? And the number that I have written down in my notes is also nine to 10 million a year. So we're on the same page there. I also wrote down the names, Jamison Crowder, Golden Tate, Sammy Watkins. Those are all guys, you know, I think they're just below the two that you named Randall Cobb. Um, so, you know, those are the type of players that, you know, you're talking about. So look, take a look at some of their numbers. Those guys are all making in that range, nine to 10 million. Um, and, and you talked about Tyrell Williams. He is still on the roster right now and he, he can be let go with zero dead cap. And you talked about the savings, 11.6 million. That's a lot of money. And, and I hope that, um, the move they make with Williams is, is to let him go. Um, and put that money towards the defense. There's no way they're keeping both Williams and Aguilar. That, that's not happening. It's only going to be one or the other or or none of them. My, my, my feelings with Aguilar is that I just hope there's a there's a firm price in mind, and I told you that range for me where I where that comfort level for me is uh, nine to ten million. And, and my reasoning for for my my thoughts on. Um, Aguilar is essentially he had a career year with the Raiders this year. Now is that is that his ceiling? Is this is is this how much better can he be? You know, I mean, it, it, can does he have a lot of room to get even better? Do you think, or are we looking at probably his ceiling? You know, so I think I, that's something you have to ask yourself. Is, is this play sustainable? Was he motivated by the contract year? You know, so those are some of the thoughts that I was thinking. See, and I think that I think what you saw from Aguilar this year is probably 
the best you're going to get out of him. I hate to put a cap on a person because who knows? Maybe he, he gets 1,000 yards if he resigns and comes back with another year of car. But if you look at the Raiders' receiving core, they have some young mouths to feed in Ruggs and Edwards, who you saw catch a touchdown yesterday. Waller, as we know, is the go-to target. So I don't think his ceiling could be that high because Carr is going to spread the ball around. And he's not going to – Nelson Aguilar is not going to get a bunch of targets every game. So you have to look at it as, okay, we're going to pay him 9 to $10 million to be our second-best receiver behind Darren Waller. But, we again, we still have these young wide receivers we have on the roster that we want to develop. So if they feel strongly about Ruggs and Edwards going forward, they may not resign Aguilar, and we'll see how that goes. But, again, I would resign him just because he has that rapport with Derek Carr, and you touched on it. Derek Carr has to trust you for him to give you the ball. And for Nelson Aguilar to come in in one season and gain that and gain that trust from Carr, that's huge. So with that, I, w- I would say he's back. I would lean toward 75%. He's probably back unless another team offers him more money on the open market. Yeah, you, 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 you're taking my, my notes right off my page. You're not even looking at him. You're, you're right on the money. I agree with you 100%. Um, the fact that they brought in Ruggs and Edwards just a year ago you know, at some point you need to give these kids a chance. I don't think they really got a, a, a real chance this year. I know there was issues, injuries and COVID and, and whatever, uh, not, not refined enough in their route running, but at a certain point you've, you've invested the draft capital on these guys. You, you got to give them a chance. Um, so I think unless the, unless the number that you're, you're going to get Aguilar at is, is very team friendly then you move on. And I, I know that might sound crazy because he was such a big weapon uh, for Carr this year, but I think it, it's just too risky to, to offer him, you know, $12 million. I just don't think that's a smart move, especially as we said, you have two young guys um, j- just in the waiting there, two talented guys who used a first round pick on and then a third round pick on. So let's move on to the next topic. And that is Trent Brown. Uh what are they going to do at right tackle? That is, that is a um, literally and figuratively a, a big question for this team. They've paid Brown a heck of a lot of money, and he just has not been available enough in the two years. Now his base salary does drop by seven point five million next year to fourteen million, and and in my opinion, I some people may disagree. I think that's a, a pretty fair number um, for a player of his caliber. That would make him the twelfth highest paid tackle in the league next year. And again, I think uh, when he's healthy and he's playing, he's, he's, he's one of the top tackles in the league. The problem is he just can't stay healthy. So that's, that's a a major big if, Um, and there's several ways this could play out. Maybe they ask him to take a pay cut, which I don't think he'd be open to. Uh, I don't know if he'll get 12 million on the open or 14 million on the open market. Not after missing, uh, I think 16 games in the last two seasons, maybe they offer him a new, uh, restructure it where it's more incentive based or maybe more uh, guaranteed money. I, you know, I'm not a contract guy. I'm not sure how these things can be manipulated, but, um, or maybe they decided to say, you know, we're going to cut our losses and move on. But how do you, how do you see this shaking out? Yeah, that's been a big topic, and I, I it's kind of divided because a lot of people are like you. They're saying, well, when he's healthy, he's great, and he's great for the offensive line, and he can really give a boost to the run game and the pass protection. I get it. But as you touched on, in two years, he's only played 50% of the games. So while he could be great, he's on the field, but how many – 
you know, how much are you going to actually have him? So this is this is my order of what I, how I would handle the Trent Brown situation. I would approach him about renegotiating his contract. If he's not open to that, then I move on to the next thing, which is try to trade him. Try to recoup something for him because I'm not going to release a guy like that for nothing. After what the Rays have paid him, I'm going to try to get something. Even if it's a middle-round pick, a lot of people have asked me, what do you think the Rays will ask for if, if it was a trade situation? I think you can't. I don't even think you can go above a third-round pick because people know Trent Brown's history. Uh, of course, he did have COVID. Can't help that. But he, he did battle a calf injury. Had a multitude of injuries last year. Didn't play in the season finale this year because of an ankle injury. So he's been banged up. And again, it's just, I know a lot of people are going to, I don't know the guy. So I'm not going to question his motivation or does he love football. I'm not going to get into that. But coaches will question. General managers will question. How much does he want to play? Is he is he willing to play through injury? Because if he's not and he has his contract, 14, a $14 million cap hit, we don't want him. You know, so it. Again, that's the order. I ask him to renegotiate his contract. If he says no, try to trade him for a middle round pick. If that, if no team wants him, then I release him and take that fourteen million and invest in a in a defender, invest in a pass rusher, invest in a in a you know a safety, a linebacker, some something that can help your defense not be at the bottom of the league. And I will just throw this nugget out there: is that Tom Capel has done a good job with Colton Miller, so I will be comfortable with getting a draft pick and drafting a player and allowing Tom Cable to, to develop another tackle. Because if he's done a good job with Colton Miller, I want to see what he could do with a right tackle, a young right tackle who's a, who's a blue chipper coming out of the draft. Maybe you can get two young guys who can book in the offensive line for years to come and not have to pay big money for Trent Brown. Again, reallocate that money to the defense, which is sorely needed at this point. Yeah. I, you know, I'm with you on, on your thoughts about Tom Cable. I, 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 I think he's done a great job, and I, I I trust him when it comes to developing a player. Look what he's done with with Colton Miller. I think he's he's a young uh, budding star in the league. And uh, but I, I just the one thing I worry about when you're you're talking about just letting him go, okay, is there's just so many holes on defense right now. To to add a right tackle to that list of needs, I think that makes it really tough because I I just think. There is so much that needs to be invested in this defense. I don't. I don't think you could, you know, put too much uh, into the offense. I don't think there's a lot that it needs. Um, you know, I, I just think it all the focus needs to be invested on the defense. Star right tackles. They just don't come around all the time. And and you know, I don't. I haven't looked at free agent right tackles. I don't know what's out there. Um, but but I I feel. Um, I feel this is how I feel about the quarterback position as well. If there isn't an upgrade available right now, and, and and unless you're confident that you can bring in a rookie who can who can step in and plug and play, then then I say you got to roll the dice at least one more season with Trent Brown. And and I and you know I think it's gonna take the the two sides coming together. They they got to sit Trent down. They got to have a heart to heart with this guy. You know, I, I think there's a little bit more going on. I, I This is just my gut. I mean, I have no idea. I could be way off, but I just think there's some sort of disconnect in the relationship. So, I don't know. That's just the way I see it. Uh, maybe I'm looking too much into it, but uh, I, I think they got to try to figure that out. They got to try to repair this relationship somehow. And, and I hope that they do. And I hope that they can, they can give it one more, more shot with Trent. 
really quick, I listened to Derek Carr's post-game press conference yesterday, and he talked about the importance of playing through injury. Now, I'm not saying he's throwing a shot, a veiled shot at Trent Brown when he talked about this, but he really harped on guys have to learn how to play through injury. Now, he could have been talking about, you know, uh, anybody on defense and maybe I wouldn't say not Arnett because you don't you're not going to play through a concussion or COVID. But I, I think he made a point to say, look, guys who, who may be banged up toward the end of the season, you got to play. You know, we, we understand you're hurt and you got some injuries and most uh, most players would tell you they're not healthy at the end of the year. But he made a, a great point in, in that post-game press conference to say, look, we need guys to play while hurt. Gruden, as we know, is not very patient with guys who aren't available to play. He, he harps on it every week. He's like, we didn't have this guy. We didn't have that guy. We need – you talked about earlier in the show, you talked about having – Arnett has to play a full game. Abram has to play a full game. These guys have to stay healthy. And when you when you put those two together and you look at Trent Brown's track record and how much he's been on the sideline, it just doesn't look good for him. Now, I will say again, my first move be to, hey, manipulate his contract so he can stay under a lower cap number. I wouldn't just cut him outright. I would try to keep him. But if he's not willing to work with me, then I have to I have to resort to second and third option. And I will say this, that I, I get your your trepidation with having with creating another hole in the offensive line, but the Raiders' offensive line had been solid without Trent Brown in the first half of the season. He missed a lot of, again, he only played five games this year, and for the most part, they were able to solidify that spot and, and play well in that offensive line. They had Denzel Good there. Who knows what happens to him? But let's say you you keep Denzel Good, you, you pick up a right tackle and draft the guy so you have multiple options. I, I think you can, at a lower price, still solidify that position. Now, again, as I agree with you, my first move would be to keep Trent Brown if he renegotiates. But if he doesn't, I have to look at saving money because right now everyone's saying the defense, the defense, the defense needs help. Well, I'm going to invest money in that defense, but it's going to have to come from somewhere. Yeah, all, all, all fair points, all fair points. Um, I do want to get to our final topic tonight, though, and that is the defense um, and, and specifically, how should Mayock and Gruden prioritize the needs? Uh, we know they need help at all three levels. The pass rush was was pathetic once again. They were not able to generate a consistent pass rush from the edge or the interior all season long, only 21 sacks. The linebacker play was, was better than it was in past seasons, but still not great. And then the young secondary, we talked about a little bit of that earlier in the show. They were badly exposed. Um, you know, Arnett struggled this year. Mullen had some moments, but I don't think he played consistent enough as well, especially if you're calling him your number one corner. And I think the jury is still very much out on Jonathan Abrams. So whether it's in free agency or the draft, moves must be made. Let's put on your GM hat for a second. What would your what would be your plan of attack uh, for the defense? Yeah, I'm I'm starting with that pass rush because if if anything, even if you're secondary, you have youth back there and, and your secondary is struggling, you can get by if you have a pretty good pass rush. And I believe the 49ers did that in their Super Bowl year. I know they had Richard Sherman on the back end and they had some decent playmakers, but their front four was fierce, and that was the that was the linchpin of their of their defense. So I believe if the Raiders can can uplift their front four, as we know, as I just said earlier in the show, Gruden wants a four man front. Uh, they can they can get with a, a defensive tackle and a guy on the edge because to me Max Crosby isn't 
he's solid, but he's not a dominant. I know a lot of people saying he should have won Defensive Rookie of the Year. I don't agree with that. Nick Bosa should have won. But Max Crosby, as we're finding out, once he gets that attention on him, he can't beat double teams consistently. Not he's a, he's maybe, a compliment. He's not right, the lead dog. He's a great and, compliment. Exactly. And a lot of people expected him after his after his rookie season to be, you know, some pro bowler, all pro. And as you say, he's a compliment, but he's not a guy that's going to beat double teams on a consistent basis. And I get he gets held on plays. But guess what? The Khalil Max, the Aaron Donalds of the world, they get held on nearly every play. So if you're if you're going to draw attention to yourself because you're a good player, guess what? You're going to get a lot of extra attention, and you're going to have to beat that extra attention to get some sacks and some quarterback pressures. And he didn't do that with a consistency uh, this year. And Gruden talked about bringing in a defensive tackle to help take some pressure off Max Crosby and generating um, some some pressure off the middle. So I think outside of an edge rusher, I would add that would be the first thing I look at. I would say 1A is probably a defensive tackle, a three-technique defensive tackle where his job is to, again, generate pressure up the middle because, as Mayock said two years ago, quarterbacks don't like when they get pressure up in their face. They prefer on the on the edge because they can kind of sidestep it. They can step up into the pocket. But when it's coming straight at you head-on, it's very hard to avoid Malik Collins is supposed to be that this year, and as we know, he fell way short of expectations. Paul Gunther compared him to Geno Atkins. I kind of rolled my eyes, and I was right about that. Uh, nowhere near Geno Atkins. They need to find a defensive tackle who's going to wreak havoc on the inside. A lot of fans want Leonard Williams. I watched the Giants game yesterday, and I believe he made more money than he was going to make because he had a big game, and I think he's going to return to the Giants. There's no way the Giants trade for him because they acquired him from the Jets. There's no way they're going to let him go after that game. After his season, I believe he has eight or he has uh, – eight or more sacks, eight to 10 sacks this year. So he's not going to hit the market. They're going to find some way to keep him, but the Raiders have to address their pass rush on the edge, their pass rush on the interior. As you talked about, their safety play was horrendous. Eric Harris is not a starting safety in this league. He's going to be a free agent. They got to replace him and they have to replace him with a cover safety because Jonathan Abram, that's not his strong suit. He's a guy you want up in the box, but he's not a guy you want as a deep safety uh, as your last line of defense. You want a guy who's disciplined back there, who has great ball skills and, and can force turnovers. So that's something they're going to have to shop for in free agency is a guy who can, again, take the ball away. So that if your defense struggles, if you're not generating pressure, at least you can get turnovers on the back end. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm on the same thought process with you there as well. The best thing, I always say the best thing you can do for uh, um, your secondary, especially one that has struggled, is, is to upgrade and improve that pass rush. So um, I hope that's where they start. You talked about the edge and then the interior. They definitely got to add some pieces there. And, and I don't want to turn this into a, a draft discussion, but real quick, I'll give you a few thoughts. I, I haven't even really begun my, my draft prep yet so it's tough for me to say where you know exactly where they should be looking to uh, go in the draft Um, but I do listen to Dane Brugler he's got a podcast Uh, he's the draft expert uh, for the athletic and he's come on the show a couple times actually but he claims this year's draft class is not real deep at defensive tackle so maybe that's that's a position that they might be better off addressing in free agency Um, although I, I do like what I've seen from Christian Barrymore from Bama he had a nice game uh, the other day in the in the semifinals, um, he'd be a guy who I think would be available at 17. Uh, a couple of the other names, a couple of other players that I've watched a bit this year in college football, the linebacker from Notre Dame. Now he's not, you know, he's not an edge player or a defensive tackle, but I think at that point, if if 
the edge rushers are gone and, and there's there's not a defensive tackle there that they think is is worthy of that pick. And I don't know if, if this player would, would be around, but uh Koromoa, I believe is how you pronounce his name. I think I think he'd be a real nice pickup. He's he's athletic, he's 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 a versatile chess piece that you can you can line him up at linebacker, you can use him as a big safety, he can cover backs and tight ends and players in the slot. Um I, I've seen him called the uh, who who was the kid last year out of Clemson that everybody wants? Simmons, right? Was it was it Simmons? Isaiah Simmons. Yeah. They they're calling him like Isaiah Simmons like two point or or Isaiah Simmons light because he he's so versatile. So um you know, I think if you can bring in a defensive coordinator that understands how to utilize a talent like that He'd be a great pick, but I'm, and I'm getting off on a draft tangent, like I, I told you I would. But I also like the edge player from Georgia, who he's also a bit of a hybrid uh, edge linebacker. Uh, I believe his name is Ojalari, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, there's also a good edge player from Texas, Joseph uh, Asai. Um, so you know, there's 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 I think there's some some talent there that should be around um, at pick 17. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think the Raiders pick at defensive coordinator will tell us more about the direction they want to go in. Because a lot of times these defensive coordinators come in or these defensive assistants or coaches come in with preferences. They like you know this in a player. They want that in a defensive tackle. They want speed in an edge rusher. They want him to have bend. So, I, again, what the Raiders said, Gruden said they're going to move quick on a defensive coordinator hire. We'll see who that is. And then I'll ha- I think I'll have a better idea what what they should do in free agency versus versus the draft. But you you mentioned that having the seventeenth pick sometimes is no man's land. I believe Scott said this. It's just kind of like you don't get a top ten pick, even though you, you can get a good prospect in the middle of the first round. But you have to really do your research. And he has to really fit your system for that pick to work out. So it'll be interesting to see what the Raiders do. Uh, in previous drafts, they've had multiple first-round picks. Now they have to make that first-round pick really count because they only have one. Unless they do a trade, pull off a trade, which Mayock can do, but they really have to make this one count because, again, their defense desperately, desperately needs it. Yep, absolutely, Mo. All right, listen, we could go on for hours and hours. I, I love talking. I, I, you know what? I prefer the off-season talk more than I do the in-season talk. I, I really do. I, I, lo- I love talking free agency. I love talking the draft and I, I love the combine. So there's going to be plenty for us to dig into over the next couple months. And I'm definitely going to get you back on. Um, but before we sign off tonight, I, I do want to once again, just thank you one more time for, for joining me every Monday for the last 17 weeks. I always look forward to our conversations and I know that the listeners out there, they really appreciate you Mo for all, all your, your, your great knowledge and insight that you, that you bring to the show each and every week. I, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, you guys are gonna make me sad. I I was yeah. You know, I usually do my you know what what Raiders halftime adjustments should they do during the game, and I I was realizing I was doing it for the last time for the 2020 season, and people were like oh I miss when you have those tweets out there, and it's just just interacting with with the fans and and people in the Raiders community. It's just it's just a fun thing, and and just I'll share this really quick. I eventually want to work in the front office, either of an NBA team or an NFL team eventually. So just like you, I enjoy the offseason, the shaking and moving of these rosters and tracking players, the combine, free agency contracts. I am I love all of that stuff. So when the Raiders don't have a good season, I still do look forward to the offseason and what they're going to do next. Well, if there's anyone out there that can make that dream come true of working in the front office someday. It's you, Mo. You have a, a work ethic that is second to none in it, and I think you've got the the brains, the knowledge to, to, to go with it as well. 
But that is going to do it for tonight. I want to give you guys just a a quick programming note before I sign off. With the season over, with the regular season over, I will be moving to just one show per week. I plan to continue to record on Thursday nights and have that show available for you later that night or early Friday morning, depending on where you live. Uh, All throughout the off-season, of course. If anything changes with the schedule, I'll be sure to let you know. Make sure you're following me on Twitter, at egroat 5 I'll keep you posted and updated on all things related to the show there. That being said, I will not be recording this week on Thursday. Going to give myself uh, just one week off and then hit the ground running next week as I continue to recap the 2020 season. We will take a look at some individual position groups and some players and give them a grade as well as discuss free agency and the draft as as they approach. Alrighty, for my co-host Mo Moten, I am Evan Grote. Thanks for staying with us all season long, and I look forward to bringing you more great content in the offseason. Have a great week, everybody, and as always, just win, baby.